If you're a research or data lover, and perhaps you've come across one of our white papers, blog posts, or even some of our insights in the media, or maybe you're a client and you've seen some of our research reports through how we pick and choose locations and what goes behind them, then you're going to love today's episode. I'm Arjun, Head of Research at an Investigate Buyers Agency, and welcome to another episode of the Investigate Podcast. Today's guest is the special Jung from Investigate's research team. She is our research analyst and the superstar behind all those different tools and data sets that you get to see. I am lucky enough to take, you know, the small credit with my face and name at the side in these wonderful reports that Jung produces, but the credit goes to her in terms of the work, the insights, and all the deep diving into everything that we do here at Investigate. What we're going through today is some common myths and beliefs that investors continue to go by. Now, one of them is an example of bedrooms, bathrooms, materials, these things that people cherish so much, a four-bed, two-bath, family home in a family suburb with a beautiful brick exterior, these things that maybe make people think that they're what or they're the reason why the property's value grows, especially if you have friends over thinking, wow, that's a nice place, and you start to think that that's the contributor to its success or a great deal that you made couldn't be further from the truth. And Jung goes into some of these myths and deep dives into how you need to avoid them to stop getting emotionally attached to a place and get into the territory we all want to avoid, which is overpaying or getting overly attached. Now, that was just one of the four key myths or learnings that Jung goes through, and she's got all the data to back it up. So tune into this episode to hear from Jung, our research analyst at Investigate Buyers Agency. Jung, these uh, these four points look very interesting, and I'm keen to keen to run through them with you. So, four myths, or we can call them mistakes, errors, learnings, however you want to reflect on it in the property investing world. That's really holding people from hitting their goals. What's the first one that you'd like to discuss, Jung, from what you've picked up? Uh, the first one would be um, the number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, or the material of exterior walls. That's an interesting one, right? Everyone's always like. I want the perfect family home, four bedrooms, two bathrooms, Mm -hmm. and materials. Brick seems to be the famous one that keeps coming up again in Australia. So interested to hear why maybe these aren't as important based on what you've reviewed. Yeah, uh, we, we did this little research a few months ago. So we collected some houses from a very similar area, even on the same streets. They were sold last um, at around the uh, same time, and they were resold at around the similar time. Trust me, it's really hard yeah. to find these I've houses. seen you hustling to find these types of properties because, you know, the thing with property yeah. data is every time you bring something up, someone might go, oh, but not that time of market. Not that mm-hmm. day was sunny. The other day was winter. Like you know, or someone might say, "Well, that one's painted brown. This one's painted another color." So, I know you dig really yeah. deep to remove all those kind of "what if this" and "what if that" reasons. So, I, I respect the time it takes. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, it took a lot of time in narrowing down the selection. And uh, at last, we got uh, several groups of uh, houses. Uh, some of them have uh, uh, different numbers of uh, bedrooms but uh, they are they're very close to each other and sold at around sim- similar time 
and we found that sometimes the houses with us uh, with less bedrooms are resold for a higher price, or uh, I, I can't say、uh, resold for a higher price, but during the same period of time, the growth rate in price. For、uh, the smaller house are actually higher than、um, the growth rates of、uh, the bigger houses, and sometimes for for some other groups we see the opposite. And、um, overall, the op- the difference is really small. I believe、uh, the biggest difference would be less than one percent per year. So actually, for for bedrooms, it's really hard to say that bigger houses. Can will will definitely grow faster than smaller houses or vice versa. It's a fair point, right? Because we're all led to believe that the bedrooms must be more desirable. But then I think about it, and I'm like, hold on a minute. There are so many different family dynamics: families、mm-hmm. with multiple kids, families with a kid. There might be、yeah. single parent. Singles.、Uh, there might be singles only, couples only. We've seen all sorts,、mm-hmm. right, of different types of people, life stages, demographics. So it's almost like buyers、yep. put their own wish list into the investing world. When you're clearly saying you've looked at the data, it's not that important. So I guess for anyone wondering what is important, it's comparable analysis. Because if they don't grow as much,、right. it's going to be important to make sure that you. Compare the three bedroom, one bathrooms with other three bedroom, one bathrooms, and making sure you don't overpay.、Right. It's not to say that your growth will be less or more. It's just about avoid overpaying. Pick、mm-hmm. up the right asset in the right budget in the right suburb, and don't stress the beds、yes. and baths. What was it for the materials? What did you see on that note? Because that's interesting. Yeah, the materials. I didn't know much about <laughs> materials, and it actually surprised me when I see this. Pair of、uh, properties.、Um, we have a one brick house and one weatherboard house. They're both four bedroom, two bathroom, and、uh, with two car spaces. Surprisingly, the weatherboard house is much more expensive than the brick one. And over time, over、uh, eight years time, from 2014 to 2022, the weatherboard house achieved a 65 percent value growth. And、uh, the other, the, the brick one, achieved sixty percent. The difference is really small, but、uh, actually, yeah, it's surprising that the weatherboard house actually grew more than the. This brick is when the sales agent.、So、I guess that's this is when the sales agent's probably going to go, "Hey, you guys should interview interview me for the podcast. I made the weatherboard one sell for a little bit more." <laughs> no, but um, I know you've done reviews on these two scenarios countless times, and. What we kept coming back to, which was look, sometimes the brick one sells for a bit more, sometimes the weatherboard, but、mm, over that、yeah. long period, the difference is what we're looking at, and the difference was、mm-hmm. negligible. And another scenario to think that, hey, look, yes, the brick might have more desire in some people, in their opinion, but if it cost more specifically, then it's all relative.、Yeah. We just got to look at it in line with fair comparables. So, I think the thing I'm getting、mm-hmm. out of number one. Is people should develop their skill set and comparable understanding more than ever, and not so much focus on the desire of what they are looking for or what they think, from their opinion, might be right. Is that a fair assumption, Jun? Yes, definitely. Yep. After all, the the difference is already reflected in the price level. Yeah, it 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 won't affect the growth itself that well, much. Well, let's let's look into number two. What have you got for number two? 
The number two uh, we want to talk about is the mindset of a capital city versus a regional city. This is an city. interesting one. I mean, I come from little old New Zealand, so we don't even talk capital versus regional. We just say the city's name, right? So it was something I learned coming uh -huh. here in Australia saying, wait, you guys say capital and regional? Because if we went to a city, whether it had 500 people or 5,000 or 50,000, <laughs> the name of the city is the city and that's just what it is. So it's interesting because over here, everyone seems to think one performs better than the other. Is that the case, Jung, or what do you yeah. see? I would say um, that each market has its cycle and uh, capital cities can grow faster than regionals in this period of time. But um, in maybe the next decade, regionals would be growing faster than this capital city. It all depends on the cycles of each city. Yeah, so more the each. So it's not really not fair to say which grows faster than so the other. So each city's own data is more important, is what you're saying. What's some of the the stats mm -hmm. that you've looked at that kind of showcase this a little bit more? Let me show you um, this really interesting chart. Um, we actually analyzed the house price growth from 2006 to. 2021 and we divide this period into three five years term it's interesting to see that in the first five years 26 uh, 2006 to, ele to 11 greater sydney grew 6.6 percent only in price uh, in in house price per annum, per annum they, basis, roughly uh, this is uh, in total. So it wasn't too much. It was, yeah, it was because of the ah, GFC. Got it, got it. So a little bit more subdued. Yeah, and uh, while the regional New South Wales uh, overall grew thirteen point eight, it's more than doubled the Greater Sydney's price mm. growth. And then um, during the next five years, from twenty eleven to twenty sixteen. Greater Sydney grew really well. It achieved 85% growth in those five years, while the regional New South Wales achieved only 35%. Now it's the opposite. Right, I can see where you're going here. And then the next five years, again, Greater Sydney achieved 32% growth, and the regional New South Wales achieved 79.8%, uh, almost 80%. Mm. That's another turnaround. So it's actually, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, I mean, cycles of different regions. And uh, do, you, do you know the overall growth of uh, uh, Greater Sydney and uh, regional New South Wales over the 15 years? Oh, you're testing you me. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't add while you were talking for those last intervals, so <laughs> I'll let you enlighten me. Okay, um, I guess we, our gut feeling would be Greater Sydney growing yeah. more, but actually Greater Sydney grew 160%. Over 15 months. Uh, 15, 15 months years. would have been epic, Jung. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be epic. Um, well, the regional New South Wales grew 176%. Right. So, yes, they actually outperformed Sydney. So, not a huge gap that over that time amazing. period, but still nonetheless kept mm -hmm. up and performed really well. I just keep seeing yeah. like two things that come to my mind when I hear that. Number one is there would have been some parts of regional New South Wales that massively outperformed because it's such a big cluster, right? The whole of New South Wales, all the different regions clustered up as one, and yet it kept up with our super yeah. city, our biggest city in the country. And then you've got different years performing differently. I think 
the thing that comes to my mind, the second part is that investors need to stop thinking like they're buying property as part of some fund. When you buy properties, mm-hmm. you buy a property at a time, typically. And if you're yeah. doing that, yes. looking at investments for the, what the city's merits are, what the city's uh, own data is presenting, is going to control how much you can reduce that opportunity cost. Not so much putting these labels on things, capital, regional, I only learned that here when I moved across the ditch mm-hmm. and and figured out that people actually label these things. So it was interesting to notice that and such a good point that you raise. Jung, what's happening on number three? Oh, number three, uh, what I will talk about is oh, many investors would uh, think that markets would grow constantly or consistently over time. We actually um, touched on this point in point two. Generally speaking, it's that um, many people would uh, buy in the market which has grown fast or performed really strong over the last three, five years. They they tend to think that uh, over the next five years, the market would be growing as uh, as fast as before. I think that is um, a common myth among many investors. Would you would Yeah, you say I so? think it's almost like people don't want to believe you until it's happened. And it's like, hey, I'm going to wait till it grows. And now it's a growth market. Now I believe you. And I'm going to start buying in this growth market because it's, it's grown. And to me, this is such a strange concept because the idea here is that you're trying to buy before the growth Yet before you believe in its growth, you want it to happen first. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a strange concept. It's it's uh-huh. why many people even use silly terms in property investing like oh blue chip high growth or high growth city, high growth corridor, mm-hmm. growth regions. I'm like, are you guys basing on it because it's just had some that it should indefinitely have some forever? I agree, Jung, that that's the very common thought. So is this common thought correct or is it not correct? What, what do you see? I guess you just just like what we talked about for Sydney and uh, regional New South Wales. Yes, cities have uh, their, I mean, they, they run in their own cycles. And in these five years, these regions may grow very fast. And in the next five years, the some other regions start to um, get uh, really fast growth. One example we usually, I, I really like using is Sydney versus Brisbane because um, yeah, we've got uh, a 20-year price growth data from ABS for, for all capital cities. And uh, from 2002 to 2012, Sydney didn't grow really well. It achieved 52% growth over those 10 years, while Brisbane grew really strong, 138% in those 10 years. What a big difference. That's, yes. However, in the last decade from 2012 to 2022, this is, this data is June ending this year. Sydney grew by 113%, while Brisbane, not really bad. But uh, it only grew eighty four percent. It's now it's it's slower. Only eighty four. I'll take eighty four. <laughs> but I'd take one hundred and thirteen, <laughs> even more, right? But yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I mean, that percentage difference. I guess it's a clear example of showing every year, every decade, every half a decade. It's not going to be the same. Is that kind of what you're trying to say there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely awesome. 
Well, that's a that's a really good point to jump on, Jung, because you know, to me, you can look at this in two ways. Number one is, firstly, one shouldn't assume that just because it hasn't grown, mm -hmm. it never grows again, right? Or if it hasn't grown, it's now going to pop, because who knows how long that lack of growth period might be. Could it be three years? Could it be five years? Could it be seven? Could it be 10? But I guess um, that turnaround time and return to average is definitely starting to show in those examples that you raised. Now, those are three really interesting points. I'm keen to learn about the last one. What's number four? Number four would be if you can achieve capital growth and positive cash flow at the same time. Many investors may think they can't, especially if they're from uh, Sydney, because the yield here is really, really low. But actually, um, we think you you can achieve good capital growth and good or positive cash flow at the same time. The key is to find the sweet point in between. Yeah, I guess you talk about uh, you, you. You talk to clients a lot. Um, what what do they think? Do they? Yeah, do do many of them uh, think it's, it's this a, way? Yeah, they do. They do. They think, is this a growth play, Arjun, or is this a cash flow play? The question in itself is broken if you can achieve both, right? And that's usually my answer all the time. Oh, it's both. Every time it's mm -hmm. both. Because I think of this, <laughs> I think of investing like I want to invest with a certain minimum yield that helps me ensure there's comfort in my holding decision and allows me mm -hmm. to grow the portfolio further through further lending. But then I want to focus on the best capital growth within those yield parameters, right? I think where people yeah, make right. the mistake is they compare it to two extremes. They say, wow, I want a 10% yield. And obviously that means I can't get capital growth. Or I want the best capital yeah. growth and therefore I must take a 2% yield. That thinking is what drives mm -hmm. many people into trouble. Right, right. During COVID boom, Sydney actually, I mean, apparently grew a lot. If if they wanted to buy in Sydney and achieved 20, 30% value growth, the yield could be only two point mm. something. And then what happened recently was that that growth got stripped away through close to 10% declines in the recent year, uh, right? Yes. And now we're seeing some of those more affordable ones are the ones that are ticking along with another 10% growth this year. So... Jung, any other notes on that last point around cash flow versus capital growth? What do some of the data say when you go deep into it? I looked at the September uh, data we have now. And uh, as of September, there are 44 SA3s over the nationwide among 328 SA3s, which we have a data for, achieved double-digit capital growth, as well as a 4.5% or higher rental yield. I believe um, that is... Wait, did you say um, double-digit double growth, right? Enough. That's special. Double-digit, yeah, what, that's higher than 10%. Eight interest rate rises at that ending data, that would have been, what, six or seven? And so that's powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's another example of, yes, not the majority, but exists. We still it have exists, yeah. right? And that's what people should be on the hunt yes. for. Things that exist mm -hmm. that produce both. And they are not just small towns in the outback where you don't know even they exist. I'll name some of them. The first one is Salisbury in Greater Adelaide, mm. I believe. Yeah, Greater Adelaide is definitely a, a very, very um, outstanding performer. And then we have uh, regional cities, including Wagga Wagga, Amidale in... New South Wales, 
Tamworth, New South Wales, Burnie in Tasmania, Keynes, Queensland, Double, another New South Wales one, and then we have Bonneberg, Central Queensland. These are just some of the these some of the forty-eight, all, right? That you have. Yeah, these are yeah these these are some of them. They they all have a, a decent population, decent number of uh, houses, very active market, very active uh, local economies. These are all the markets we can actually look at to achieve both good capital growth and uh, positive. And cash it looks flow. like. Uh, Many of our clients listening to this on the drive will be like, woohoo, I bought there, thanks guys. <laughs> and I bought there before the double-digit growth, not once it was the growth zone. So awesome, Jung. That's mm -hmm. awesome to hear about these four points because I know many investors listening to this think about these things, desire these things, but don't realize that they're not required to achieve investing success. And if you are you know, just looking to think of what does equal investing success, Jung has done so many articles, research papers. You can check them out on investorkit.com.au. They're free to download white papers and, you know, uh, insights that Jung provides. These are super detailed things that Jung goes into. She's turned into the professional writer and researcher at Investorkit and, you know, putting weekly articles out for everyone here, monthly research papers. All I do is slap my face and my name at the end of it just to kind of get some brownie points, but it's all thanks to Jung's hard work. So Jung, thank you for sharing these four key mistakes, myths, learnings that investors should ensure that they don't make or consider. And uh, thank you for your support with all the research and content you put together. Thank you for having me and thank you for your support. Cheers.